uh, doing in the round table format, uh, looking at different parables of Jesus. Tonight we'll be looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 18 called the parable of the unforgiving servant. The unforgiving servant. I want to talk about the context as we have uh, throughout the entire study of what's going on uh, around this parable. Jesus didn't simply tell these stories, these parables, uh, out of nowhere. He had a reason for telling these parables, for using these illustrations in the very time, in the very moment that He did. He used them for a reason. So when we look at the context of Matthew chapter 18, before we get to verses 21 through 35, there's a lot going on. Uh, Jesus is dealing with a lot of questions from the disciples, asking who is the greatest in the kingdom. Uh, he's also talking in verses 10 through 14 about this parable of the lost sheep. But specifically, when it comes to the context leading into our text tonight, we want to make sure to read verses 15 through 20. So go ahead, and if you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 15 and have some thoughts. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two, if, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So when we look at the context of, of what's leading into our uh, discussion tonight, and obviously you can see it by the subheading of our parable, we're talking about forgiveness. We're, talking, we're going to be talking about a servant who was not willing to forgive. And the unforgiving servant, as the title of the parable says. So when we look at the five or so, six verses that lead into our parable tonight, What's the significance of, of, of this passage when it comes to uh, everyday life as a Christian? What is the importance uh, of this passage as we think about our parable tonight, uh, but also when we think about daily life as a Christian? Well, first in the context of the parable, it, it is interesting if you go back to verse 15, uh, the the subject matter that Jesus addresses is if your brother sins against you. Now, there are some translations. I, I think Jay down there has a New American Standard, and I think it omits the against you part, and just if, if there is sin, essentially. But, but notice in particular, if your brother sins against you, that's the uh, context of this section. Jesus is going to give directions on what you do if there is a sin out there. And when Peter uh, gets, to the, gets done listening to Jesus talk about this church discipline category, he's then going to pose a question also related to sin. Because he's going to ask, and we'll get to it in a moment, but not to speed us up too much, but he's going to ask in verse 21, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He's reckoning back to the first thing Jesus said when he entered that 
church discipline section in verse 15. So in the immediate context of the parable, it's set up by Peter wanting some exposition on, on uh, what, G, what, it, what one is to do when there is someone sinning against them. How, often do, how much and how often do I have to forgive? So that, that's ultimately the immediate context for the parable. I think it's interesting too, <clears throat> excuse me, if you, if you back up all the way to chapter 18, verse 1, the, this whole chapter starts off with the conversation of how we're going to interact with each other in, in this kingdom. The whole chapter is under this heading almost of relationships and how, how we see each other and how we interact. In verse 1, the first question of the chapter is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so we start off this discussion talking about rank inside the kingdom, and we're going to then Christ goes on to stumbling blocks and going going after the one, and then ultimately he seems like he settles into this idea that's key of how we interact with each other in the kingdom of forgiveness. If we're asking the question, "Who's the greatest?" ultimately Christ is going to bring that question all the way back to forgiveness, and so I think that kind of plays into the context of even 15 through 20 as well. This idea of rank stumbling blocks and going after the one and then ultimately this huge foundational uh, catalyst of how we as brothers and sisters interact in the kingdom, this fundamental concept we've got to understand, forgiveness. Um, I mean, I'm really glad that uh, Jay brought it up, that, you know, the forgiveness is the fundamental thing for the church, for the kingdom of God. Why? Without forgiveness, there is no love. I mean, the church, is, church should be found on, the, on love. And without love, we cannot be brothers and sisters. So without uh, forgiveness, love is just word, just, just, just merely word. So forgiveness is, to, is the way to reach the actual true love. So that's why forgiveness is really, really important. And Jesus is giving us a couple of parables here to, uh, for us to be able to reach the love in, our, in the kingdom of God, in the church. So one thing uh, we, need to, we need to be aware of here is that uh, it is happening regarding the kingdom of God. In other words, the church. So in the church, we have to have forgiveness. And also, um, I think it is very interesting in uh, verse 19 and 20, what Jesus is saying is that if, you, if two of you agree on earth about anything uh, they ask, here, the more precisely uh, translating from the ori original language is that about all tasks they ask, all tasks. So if we pray for all tasks with one mind, that is what has to be happening in the church. Like Kyle this morning preached about unity, intimacy, and cooperation in the church. It is exactly what Jesus is saying here. We have to ask in one mind with agreement for all the things that we will do in the church. So for us to reach that point, we have to have forgiveness. We have to 
forgive each other. So that's why forgiveness is, in this context, uh, very important. I find it amazing when we look at this passage, these, these five or six verses here, how Jesus already knew that even though uh, there, that we would be brothers and sisters in Christ, even though that we would have that commonality, that we were supposed to be united through our love for Christ, He knew that there would be issues, that there would be strife, that there would be arguments, that there would be problems between brothers and sisters. Even though brothers and sisters in Christ should not ideally have as many issues as people out in the world, and the, real, the realization is that there are issues, there are problems that come across, that, that, that come about in the everyday life of the church. And so Jesus, I think, it's, it's amazing how he outlines the process, the steps that we should take in order to resolve that conflict, to resolve those problems. And I, I, I want to talk about two dangers of not following this pattern. The first one I want to talk about is when we don't even take the first step. Look in verse 15, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The first temptation, the, the first danger of not listening to this text is when you simply don't take the first step Jesus says. When you don't take that first step of going to that brother or sister and talking to them, person to person, Christian to Christian, brother to brother, or brother to sister, or sister to sister, if you don't take that step, What's going to happen? If you don't take the step of going to them and, and, and talking about this issue or conflict, what's going to happen is most likely, this is what's happened to me in my past, that fault that I feel that has been given or done to me is going to fester. It's going to fester inside of me. It's going to get to a point that it totally jades. It totally ruins my perspective of that person. Because I simply didn't take that step that Jesus says to take. It has this ability to fester within us to the point that we simply don't want anything to do with that person. And when that happens, we've lost a brother or a sister. So the first danger is when we don't take the first step. And sometimes we don't take that first step because maybe we want just to listen. It's, that's not worth it. I, mean, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. I don't want to make myself uncomfortable. I don't want to have this awkward conversation, whatever the case might be. And what we do is we sit in that frustration. And we, we, steep, we, we let it steep within us to the point that we lose uh, that brother or sister. And then the second danger, I believe, is when we skip steps. When we skip steps in the process that Jesus says and defines here. When we take it straight to, you know, 11. You know, we were supposed to go to our brother or sister in person and talk to them about the frustration, about the fault. We were supposed to have this conversation one-on-one, -on -one, but instead we go straight to the elders or straight to someone else or straight to a group of people. And that's skipping a step in the process. And the danger that comes from that is that gets back to the person because what does the group do? The group goes to that person that has the fault and the person at fault might think to themselves, no one ever talked to me about this and here I am getting attacked by this group of people coming at me. So there's dangers if we don't take the first step. 
But there's also dangers if we skip steps along the way. And I, it's, it's interesting, when you, when you talk to the elders, I've had conversations with elders before, uh, even as a minister, I would talk about a situation, or I would talk about a frustration. And, I, and even I have been told, have you talked to them about it? Have you talked to them individually about it? And sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and when the answer has been no, I've been told, well, then you need to go talk to them about it. And I think the elders do that to anybody who comes up with an issue or some type of conflict or, or a problem to be resolved. They will challenge us, you're skipping some steps here. You need to go talk to them. If they won't hear you, then we can get a group, then we can get involved, or whatever the case might be. So the two dangers I, I definitely want us to see before we get into our text tonight, because I think it leads right into what we're going to be talking about tonight, is we need to take this, these, these steps seriously. When it comes to forgiveness and when it comes to problems in the church, we have to take this process seriously. Because if we don't take the first step, we've lost a brother or a sister. And if we skip steps along the way, we could lose brothers and sisters. And Jesus did not take the time to explain this process to us for us to just take haphazardly. Alright, let's go ahead and, and get into the text for tonight. Beginning in verse 21, we're going to read the entire uh, parable here. Verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what, what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that, that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. You know, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think it's, we were talking a little bit earlier, it's a very straightforward story, isn't it? Uh, there, there, there perhaps isn't too much uh, scholarly, academic discussion to be had. It's very straightforward, it's, uh, as most of the parables are, actually. Very easy for us to understand this illustration, this situation. And so with that, I want to open up. Is there any initial thoughts or comments on... Uh, 
this parable that we may not get to in other sections the rest of the night? What are some initial comments you have? The, the first thing that stands out to me is the, the uh, currency used here, talents and denarii. That doesn't mean a lot to you and me. I don't know how many denarii you're holding at home, uh, but I don't have any. And, and so sometimes the amount gets lost on us. And so let me help give some context to that just so you can appreciate the parable real quickly. It, it, so a denarius, a, a denarius was a day's wage. It's the average income for one day of work. We can understand and appreciate that even though we know that that can vary between um, people, how much they make. A talent, on the other hand, was much, uh, was much more valuable. And according to what I've seen, one talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii, which means, in the context of this parable, the man who owed 10,000 talents owed 60 million denarii. So let's just put that in modern currency for a moment. Let's say that the man who owed uh, the, the, the denarii to his fellow servant, let's say he just owed $100. That means by comparison, the guy who owes 10,000 talents to the master would owe that master $60 million. That's, that's the ratio we're dealing with here. And if you think in terms of a day's wage, that this man that owed 10,000 talents owed the equivalent, equivalent of 60 million days pay, that means he would never in his lifetime be able to pay that debt back. It means that he would have to work over 100,000 years to pay that off at a day's wage. So just to give you some context, his debt is insurmountable. And the fellow servant's debt is doable. So just to give that context, I think sometimes we overlook the comparison of what's owed between these guys because we don't understand the talent to denarii re re ratio. But th that's something that's an initial observation to me. Every time I read this parable, I put it in the context of how much is owed between these two guys. Actually, that is the worst. 164, 38, some thousand years of work. I told you. <laughs> okay, so here's the, uh, here's the thing that we need to think about. Why Jesus used that big amount of debt? It is like exaggerating. Does somebody owe that much money? But here's, uh, here, uh, there, uh, here is a very interesting contrast in the, in the, in the text. Uh, verse 23 uh, the king, uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king uh, who wished. And so here, I don't know why my ESV English Standard Version uh, doesn't translate the word, but original language has, uh, has one more word than this, compared to a human king. Human there is the word human, human king. And at the end of the parable, uh, verse 35, 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. So heavenly Father and earthly king is being compared. And you know, who is there? I mean, where is such a king? I mean, such a human king who will forgive or waive that, that big amount of debt for no reason? Even though the person is pleading. No, there is, I mean, it is no possibility. So, but Jesus is saying at the end of the parable that the Heavenly Father will do to every one of you the same thing. So, Jesus is saying whatever the sin might be, Heavenly Father will forgive you. However big the sin might be, the Heavenly Father will forgive you. That is one thing uh, that we may need to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, it's hard not to get focused on the discrepancy of the money here. The 10, you know, the 10,000 talent to the 100 denarii. When I first started studying this passage for tonight, I, I, um, New American has a little footnote that says, you know, talent is, is close to about around about 15 years worth of, of, of wages. And I thought, okay, you put that in today's, what's the, what's the average median income of a Georgia resident right now? You times that by 15, you times that by 10. The number got so big, I said, okay, I'm going to abandon this thought. <laughs> this is too big of a number for my, for my mind to comfort. There was a number, you know, there's, there, letters started getting involved and said, okay, that's a lot of money. Um, but that's, like we've all been saying, that's the point Jesus, that, that's the point his disciples would have instantly got. That's, that number is too much for me to fathom. That number is laughable. And the thing that really jumped out to me is the servant or the slave that owes this in verse 26, he says, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. I wonder if there was a dramatic pause there where Jesus just let the disciples laugh. Because that's how insane of a, of a comment that would have been that this guy said, if you just give me time, I could pay back this amount of money. And so that's what leapt off the page to me. It's just that this guy, in his, despa his desperation, said, I can still pay that back. And to anyone understanding how much money that is, that, no, you can't. You can't even try. You, you work every day. If you don't sleep the rest of your life, you still could not even put a drop in the bucket of how much you owe. And, and I think we're going to get into this more. And then building on that, he doesn't even ask for forgiveness. The man never asks for forgiveness. He just says, can I have patience? I'll pay it back. The king says, you owe me this. And, this, and the servant says, well, just be patient. And it's the king who brings in forgiveness. That was not even an, uh, a request made. It's something the servant never even considered was on the table. And yet that's what the king is offering. Another thought that I thought was interesting as we think about this parable in general, most of the parables we've talked about thus far have, have been Jesus talking to the Pharisees or talking to a big group of, of, of people. I find this, this one unique in that, or at least thus far in our study of the parables unique in that this is an intimate conversation with his disciples, with his apostles, with those who are close to him, and I think it's interesting how Peter's the one, you can look at this two ways, you can look at it as Peter saying, alright, what is the very bare minimum I have to forgive others? Or you can look at it as Peter saying, I want to know how much I need to be a, as a forgiving person. But I think it's interesting nonetheless that Peter's the one that asked Jesus after this conversation we just had in verses 15 through 20, 
about forgiveness, he goes, oh, okay, well, now we're on the subject of forgiveness. How much do I need to forgive others around me? And so we've been talking about uh, this unpayable debt, right? This unpayable uh, one, uh, 100,000 or 10,000 10, talents. How are we the 10,000 talent, 10, 10, talent servant? How today, in what context today, are each of us the 10,000 talent person? You want to go first? Yep. Um, that's a sin. I mean, that, this is the humbling thought and reality in my life. I became a Christian uh, 16 years ago. And before that, I was not a Christian. And I was, uh, I was just uh, living according to my desire. I mean, the worldly desire. I wanted to be a you know, successful businessman. I did everything to, to make it happen. And I took some, you know, undertake what under the, uh, table? under the table something and in Korea and I did everything and I entertained people with social drink the buyers and you know sometimes it's a shame but you know in some bars with girls so um, I did everything to to be successful in the world but after I have heard the gospel, I mean, I was not feeling okay with that. I was feeling guilty of those things. But after I heard that I could be forgiven of those sins, why not? I just took it. I just took the opportunity. And why not? It was about uh, 11 at night at Martin Church of Christ. That was so cold night. And by chance, the heater was out of order. The, the water was freezing. But I didn't hesitate. It. So I just went into the water and washed myself of the sin. And as I recall, the sins that I committed before I became a Christian, it is 10,000 talent debt. I mean, it's more than that. So it's huge. So if I don't forgive some sins of my brothers and sisters, even though they do something wrong to me, there is no point of my baptism, of my forgiveness. Because I was washed off so big, huge sin by the mercy of God. But I can give such a little mercy to my brother and sister, that doesn't make any sense. So I owed more than 10,000 talent to my heavenly king, and he wavered that bet. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, an important comparison to make, that we, we all owe because we are all sinners. The other thing that stands out to me about are the comparison between us and the 10,000 talent sinner, or servant, I should say, is that just like him, we each have a choice. He's presented with the choice of extending the same degree of forgiveness and mercy he received. 
And you and I are given that choice on a continuous basis. Look at verse 30 and look at how Jesus described uh, this 10,000 talent servant. He says he refused to forgive his fellow servant. Or some translations just say he was unwilling to forgive his fellow servant. That means he had a choice. And, and we need to acknowledge the presence of the choice to forgive. Because that's, that's one way in which we're like him. We have the same choice that we can make. And some of us will take that choice and will extend forgiveness to others. Some of us won't, won't succeed at that. And we'll hold on to our bitterness and our grudges and our, and our frustrations. And we'll let those fester and grow. And so I, th- I think it's important for us to note that another way we're like him is that we have the choice as to whether or not we're going to continue to forgive as we've been forgiven, to be merciful as God's been merciful to us. One thing I pick up on this is this 10,000 talent guy, he hurt his master. I mean, he, he owed his master a lot of money. I mean, we're talking about millions, possibly billions of dollars of, you know, that this servant has cost his master. It's a lot of damage done. That's not a trivial thing that this servant, you know, mismanaged this guy's money and now he just can't pay it. You know, it's not a $100 bill he just lost and he can't pay it back. This is a sizable amount of damage that this guy, this servant, incurred against his master. And when I look at myself as the 10,000 talent servant in this, it's a reconciliation or, or a realization with this thought that my sin hurts my father. You know, I think sometimes we as Christians, and I'm speaking to myself here, we think sins are just, you know, something that is so small when I say a lie or when I, I misstep or, or sin of commission or sin of omission, I just forgot to do something that was against my mind. It's, it seems so small because I, my father doesn't stand in front of me and it's not that I'm turning my back to him. I don't see him when I, when I do these things. And so it almost feels like these sins that I commit don't inflict pain or disappointment or, or pain to my father. Because I don't see that disappointment on his face. I don't feel that rejection around me. But something I need to remember is that every time I disappoint him, every time I go against his will, that hurts. That's a pain felt by him. And so I think something that I, that I pick up from this passage is just some, you know, a sobering thought of everything that I, I do. You know, I think about Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 30, how, you know, not grieving the Holy Spirit. And just the grief that this servant caused his master, and yet the king was still willing to forgive. So it's a, it's a sobering thought that kind of, this is a good thing for me to read. Ultimately, you know, when we, when we look at this 10,000 talent servant, the, the question is not whether we uh, can relate to this servant. The, the, the answer is we're all this servant. When it comes to our souls, we are this servant that owe an unpayable debt for our sin. When it comes to our life, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and verse 23. Romans 3 and verse 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. And since none of us are righteous in and of ourselves, our sin has made our souls an insurmountable debt to pay. None of us are able to pay it back with a, a, a certain amount of money. None of us are able to pay it back with a certain amount of works or a certain amount of faith or a certain amount of love. It wouldn't matter if any of us, we, if we pulled it all together, we couldn't save one soul. 
That's the reality of, of our state that we are in without Christ. We have this insurmountable debt that none of us are able to pay, and that's exactly where this servant finds himself. And that's exactly where we find ourselves without Christ. In fact, Ephesians 2 gives a great explanation of, of where we were without Christ. It says, and you, and you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together to make us sit in the, together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself, it is the gift of God. And so back to the, the parable for tonight, we understand that this 10,000 talent servant has been given the gift of mercy. This gift that he did not deserve. In verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. And so it, when we come to this text, when we come to the reality, and when we have the humility to accept the fact that there is nothing that we can do, say, think, feel, or whatever the case might be in our capabilities, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to pay the debt of our sin. That's when we're going to understand how great our Father is. That's when we're going to understand how great His Son is. That's when we're going to understand how great it is to be a Christian. And that's where the 10,000 talent servant finds himself. But here's another question for us tonight. Since we've been given this gift, this free gift of grace, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, since we've been given this gift. Therefore, how should we react? How should we interact? How should we treat the 100 denarii servants in our life? The people who transgress against us, the people who sin against us, the people who let us down, the people we have problems with, grudges with, what should that payment of our 10,000 talent debt make us do to the people around us who fail us? Well, I think, you know, simply put, not like this guy. He, made, he mismanages it pretty bad, you know. But I think digging more into it, obviously, the problem is it doesn't necessarily feel like he understood the forgiveness that he was giving. He definitely wasn't mindful of it because if he truly understood what he had just received, then there's no way he would have turned around and, and, and did this. And so how do we treat the, the 100 denarii type people in our lives, people that we feel rejected by or hurt by, or people that owe, we feel owed, you know, that people, you know, that they may owe us something? Well, I think if we were to start our, our every morning thinking about the 10,000 talents that we've been forgiven of, 
if that's how I start my day, and if I'm continually mindful and truly try to grasp all, grasp all what that means, then these situations won't happen. Um, <clears throat> actually, uh, I would like to talk about some something in about the text. The text has a discrepancy, uh, literally speaking. Uh, I mean, uh, literally speaking. You know, verse 22 says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It is like saying, Jesus is saying that about, saying about the, how many times we have to forgive. But the parable itself is not about the numbers, how, how many times we have to forgive. But the parable itself is telling us we have to forgive others. So the discrepancy tells us what Jesus is really emphasizing here by 70 times of seven. It is our hurt. It is our attitude. It is our virtue. It is our Christian character. Jesus is not just saying we have to so many times, we have to forgive so many times, but Jesus is saying that you have to have the hurt of mercy. You have to have the merciful hurt to forgive your forgive the sins of others any time, any sin. I think that is what Jesus is really saying here. I mean, ultimately it comes down to the, what, we, what we must do is we must be extenders of forgiveness. That's the, the whole premise of this uh, parable for us to be individuals who, who have been forgiven to in turn extend that forgiveness. So you can see in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13 that we're instructed to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And don't overlook that word must, because it indicates obligation. What Paul is ultimately saying is that we are required to forgive each other because of what he's done for us. So that's ultimately the, the objective here. I think very short you could say when it comes to the people around us, what could they possibly do? What could they possibly say? A to us, about us, or whatever the case might be, what could they possibly do that's even remotely close to what we've done to God? I think that's the key we have to understand tonight at this parable is there's nothing that you can do to me that's worse than what I've done to God. And I think that's how we have to look at our, our, our brothers and sisters. That's how we have to look at, at, at our spouses. That's how we have to look at our families. That's how we have to look at everyone around us and realize, I've been give, forgiven of my 10,000 talent debt. Here's this person that owes me 100 denarii. I have no right to turn my back on them. And so the, the, an, a, another question for us tonight is obviously, this is a hard thing to put into practice. It's great for us to, to, to understand that message, to see that uh, parable put into action, to, to think about what this might look like in our life. But the question I want to ask is, why is this so difficult for the audience here listening to this, Peter and others? Why, and also, why is it difficult for us? It's ultimately difficult because forgiveness is completely and totally unfair. Uh, we, when we're wronged, we want retribution. We, we want justice. We want fairness. We are a society in particular 
that celebrates fairness. I mean, you're, as your child is growing up, you're having to teach them that the world's not going to be fair because we value fairness that much. And the truth is, God never promised fairness. You know, you think back to the Old Testament and you think back to Peter and, and the, his contemporaries, what they're used to is, is a law of, of equal retribution. They're used to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And Jesus enters the scene and says, that's not how it's going to be. You can go back to the Sermon on the Mount where, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 30 and 39, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. It's not fair. That's why it's so hard for us, because we want everything to be fair. And it's not fair that God forgives us. And it's not fair that, that we can receive salvation in spite of what we've done to him. But God doesn't operate on a definition of fairness like you and I are used to. And so this is always going to be difficult because it's not fair. You know, going back to something I said earlier, I think something that's hard about this passage is we've all been hurt by somebody, and it's, we've all maybe experienced this difficulty forgive because our pain was so great because of what was done, what was said, what was alleged, or whatever it may be. We've, we're, we're very familiar with that very real personal pain. We, we know exactly what it feels like to be betrayed, to be hurt. To, to be put in that position where you should be, for, you know, you should be forgiving, but it's hard because of the, the great pain in your life. And we know what that feels like, but like I was saying earlier, sometimes I feel like we lose this, the reality of the pain that we've caused God because we don't see the pain on His face. We don't, we don't see the rejection or the disappointment when we've sinned against Him and how He experiences that sin against Him. And, and that reminds me of this morning... When I think all of us in this room that were present this morning were humbled at that baptism when the question was asked, have you sinned against God? And with tears, the response was yes. I mean, when was the last time you just felt with tears and on your knees almost, I have just sinned against God? That reminded me of how, much, how big of a sinner I am and how much sin I've caused against God. And to see that this morning, you know, no pain, and we were all saying the same thing, no pain that anyone can cause me can even get close to the pain I've caused God. And that can be, to me, that's something that motivates me. It can be something that can weigh on you, but looked at the right way, it can be something that's motivating and freeing to then show that forgiveness to other people, even though sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. So when we, when we think about where we go from here, you know, I think it's important that there are some steps that we can take even tonight in our personal life and our walk with God to better our relationship with Him. And so my question to end tonight, I'd love some input on what should be every single person's first step as they leave here tonight to apply this parable to their life. I think the... Uh the, the difficulty of forgiveness is related with our littleness of faith. If we really look at heaven, if we really desire for heaven, then we would not exchange it with anything. So God says, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And I will definitely forgive 
and the sins of others, because I really, truly desire for heaven. So it is a matter of faith. How, how much am I desiring for heaven? How much, uh, you know, trusting in God's word? So tonight, I, I would. I will take these words really, truly into my heart. That will be the first step for me to be able to forgive the sins of others. In the New American, the last three words of this, of this passage is from your heart. And I think that's the key to forgiveness. We have to, like Kyle was saying, forgive, if, we, if, if forgiveness originates from our mind, we often won't forgive people because forgiving others just doesn't make sense at times because we're never going to find justice. We're never going to find fairness. But if we move where our forgiveness comes from, not from our mind, but from our hearts, that's where we can start to connect with how God was able to forgive, and that's where we can start to overcome boundaries and overcome things that mentally may not make sense, but if we're forgiving from our heart then we're able to forgive like our God forgives. For me, I think the, the first step for many of us, maybe not all of us, but many of us, would be to turn your wounds and your hurts and your, your, your baggage of wrongs, to turn all of that pain over to God. And that is something that's easier said than done. But ultimately, you, you've got to trust that, that God's the one uh, who can bring about the righting of the wrong, that God's the one who can uh, resolve the, uh, the pain you feel and the, the hurt that's been caused towards you. But you've got to start in, in, in communicating to God your desire for Him to have control over that and for it to not be baggage you carry around anymore because the baggage of bitterness is always going to weigh you down and hold you back. So I, I, though I can't go into great detail in the time we have to say, here's how you turn it over to God, just absorb that terminology, absorb that idea, and figure out what that's going to look like in your own life. I think we've got to, each of us, think about that person or that maybe more than one person that we've been thinking about the whole lesson. Who is the 100 denarii person in our life? Who is the person that we refuse to forgive? Who is the person that we refuse to let go of the grudge? Who is the person that has wronged us in our life? And tonight, I think we've got to take the step to forget, let it go. We've got to let it go. We've got to forgive them. And it might be time for us to take that first step Jesus said. Go and talk to them. Might be time for us to take that step Jesus outlined for us. To go have that conversation and gain our brother and sister back. Because it's useless for us to go through life being the unforgiving servant. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our dear, most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us to worship you this morning and to worship you tonight. Uh, with, with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We pray that we've made melody in our hearts to you and uh, that we've, we've offered up a aroma that is pleasing to you. And we pray that uh, we can please you with our worship, with our lives, uh, living a life in spirit and in truth uh, to you. And we pray uh, that we will take the lessons in this parable of this unforgiving servant 
and apply them to our life, uh, to take that step that we need to take tonight, to ask for forgiveness from others if we're the hundred denarii servant, or to forgive others the way we have been forgiven if we're all the 10,000 talent servant. We pray tonight that we will be challenged, that our hearts will be pricked, that our lives will be transformed uh, because of the message that your son gave all those years ago that we've read tonight. We pray that we'll have the courage, that we'll have the boldness, that we will submit to this hard teaching. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.